Presentations, episode 59, The Hockey Helmet Rule. This counts as, uh, this counts as the Christmas special. Ice hockey, I'm going to call it 3% Christmas, right? There's a little bit. It's at least winter. And this is Christmas week. Uh, last year we did King Tut for the Christmas special, which I did last year because people were going to go visit their families more. I remember I did it because uh, I was si- I was single at that time, and I thought if people are going to go drive to their families, at least, I was thinking for me at least, if I was going to go see my family, you know, I need I was going to need something to talk about because at the time I was 32, and I knew that there might be questions about like, hey, where, what happened to Jessica, or like, have you, how is Karen doing? <laughs> It's like, I don't know, it's been uh, nine years. Graham, that's, uh, you're killing me. But th- So that's why I did that one. But this year, we're pandemicking, you know? We, we all decided that we're going to pandemic it up, you know? Going through a new phase, seeing how it works. I don't know, I think we're all kind of over it at this point, waiting it out. So I don't know, I was going to do Chinese technology. I was I got hooked on the social credit system thing that they're, that they're doing in China, because I don't know about... What actually goes on in China, do you? I have no... I mean, I've heard, like, Chinese technology. The episode was going to be, like, China with or Chinese technology. Hey, what's going on over there? That was what it was going to be. Gotta tell you, for a Christmas special, got a little dark for me. It started out not the brightest to begin with, because I was looking into, like, the surveillance state that they're kind of rocking over there. And then I found this thing called a social credit score... And the best I can understand it is that China tracks, just just keep track of all your phone stuff. And then also there's a huge app that is like PayPal, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Amazon. It's like everything. And then using the data that they collect from that app, they like smash that together with whether or not you're late to work and how often you go to the wine and spirit store. And then you get like a how much you're worth as a person score. There's a lot more to it. Again, I abandoned the episode because how dark is this even getting right now? Right? Yo, check this out, right? So there's a way to get a bank loan in eight seconds in China using this social credit score shit. But in eight seconds, it, it'll check like 4,000 things about you. Yo, it keeps track of how quickly you fill out the survey thing. And it's like, yo, it, it took me two and a half seconds. But like if everybody else does it in half a second... Because there's a trend of delinquency among people who hesitate to fill out the loan thing on this crazy app that'll give you four grand in eight seconds, they count it against you. I don't know. It just got a little dark for me. I'm more of a Muppet Christmas Carol guy, you know? Let's keep it light. Fuck it. We're going to do the uh, the hockey helmet rule. And really, the topic sort of fell apart. I mean, the hockey. we're going to cover the hockey helmet rule for sure. But then I just it just kind of morphed into the most fun parts of hockey that I wish I knew more about. Or I used to know more about when I was a kid because I used to play ice hockey when I was I played probably from like seven, maybe maybe six because I played foot hockey and that was I can't tell you that moving to, to skates was an upgrade for me on any level honestly I think foot hockey was my they call it salad days I was a big sneakers and ice hockey or and, uh, hockey stick because I could understand it I could I've been walking for a while at that point in time. You put it on skates and things got worse, but it's still really fond memories for me because I played from about seven till like 13, I think, which is the most, I was thinking about it, it's the most fun time 
I think to play ice hockey if you're a kid because it doesn't mean anything. It, like right, I I almost caught my foot. I stopped playing because I almost caught my foot off. I think I, I got to hold the record for that. I can't. I, that can't have happened more than a handful of other times. I almost cut my own foot off. That's why I stopped playing ice hockey. I was in front of the net. Do I even have to say I wasn't the best player on the team? Right. So I was in front of the net and I was tall. I was. I was. Dude, I was built like a limousine, <laughs> like a demolition derby. That was my whole childhood ice hockey career of like all right put it in there I mean I don't know how many hits it can take but it's gonna be fun to watch it blow apart that was pretty much ice hockey but I I really I was thinking about it and I honestly I was terrified every time I played I remember driving because my dad would drive me to every game and I remember being not yeah I mean terrified isn't far off I was like I don't know what I'm gonna do there's levels that I can fuck this up like one I'm not gonna be good at ice hockey I did score a couple goals. I did think about this. Like, the handful of times I did score goals, oof, was I so sassy when I went back to the bench. And everybody on the team had to know. they Because there's no secrets. We all practice together. Like, why do you think I'm right wing, dude? Wingers have, like, very little responsibility. Wingers the position that, like, coaches tell the guys playing it that, like, yo, this is a really important position. Like, you're key to the breakout, and you got to cover the point. But, like... I mean, at 33, yeah, man, you put the kids who are like, who can, re- who can I really not trust to technically perform maneuvers of ice hockey? Those are my wingers. If I got to put them somewhere, I'm not going to put them on defense and I can't have them taking face-offs as a center. So, look, I was learning, you know. I've, again, I think my best days were on when I had socks and shoes on, had, had some vans on. That was my prime. But then I played, and it was fun because I couldn't get hurt. I was bad, and I would get demo- I would get crushed. But it felt, it, I don't know, it was it was fun. I, I never got, other than cutting off my own foot, no, I, don't, I didn't cut it off. I did, all right, I lacerated two tendons on the inside of my right ankle. Because even though I couldn't skate well, I knew that good skaters didn't lace their skates all the way up. Because if you if you leave the top two holes of an ice skate unlaced, you can like angle better and cut like sharper angles as you're going back on defense, or maybe you're gonna circle in front of the net. But I couldn't. It was like, dude, ultimate cart before the horse. There, I couldn't skate well enough to be able to. What kind of angles am I utilizing? I'm trying. Oh my god, I had like little baby goat legs. I, I was work. I was coming along. By the end, right before I I almost cut my own foot off, I was coming along. I don't know whether my dad was all the way lying to me or not, but like when we would, when I would have a game where I wasn't totally embarrassed on the drive home, he would say some shit like "You're a good passer," or like "You see the ice well," which is, I don't, know, I, I ate it up as a kid, but like thinking about it later, it's like, yeah, well, that's the way you tell, you know, we don't cheer for passing at home. Yeah, it's a nice thing to tell him, but like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> good passers not. So I wasn't the best ice hockey, but it, they are fond memories for me. And it's the Christmas special, just to just to put a bow on it. All right, so I almost cut off my own foot. I was in front of the, I was in front of the net, and somebody came and hit me, and got up underneath me, and which wasn't hard to do. My center of gravity, I was I was a lank monster. It was a golem, just a long. I don't know. I do not. I think night terrors look like this, where they're just long and like real lean and long and just kind of goofy looking. If you put an, uh, like a night terror playing children's ice hockey. But just old enough so the kids can, some kids can really hit. That's where I was at. But it was fun because I couldn't get hurt. It felt like I was in like a stuntman canine suit and just getting blasted. Like, 
It was like a physical casino. Honestly, it was like, look, I'm going to lose most of this. But every now and then I'm going to get one and that'll, that, that'll be enough to keep me coming back to the table with my little, my baby giraffe one step at a time skating. And then every now and then, I mean, there was, I did break a kid with one arms, one arm once at a, in an ice hockey game. I did do that and I didn't, I've told the story a couple other places before and I'm not really going to go into it that much, but that was a time where I hit the progressive slots lotto at the physical casino. I didn't mean it. I didn't know he had, just real quick, I didn't know he had one arm. He just, I was always looking for somebody who sucked worse than me at hockey. And so the one game, I remember somebody was like, had their stick tucked underneath their armpit. And that's all, I didn't really even look that close. All I saw was that like, yo, this guy can't even hold his stick right. It was my, I couldn't wait. Dude, I was like, the Phantoms are going to call me in 10 hours after I laid this kid out. I didn't even really think about it. And then I did, I hit him. We're going to go into hitting techniques and all, just all the stuff I wish I, I thought to look up as a child playing ice hockey so I could have maybe gotten better at it. That's pretty much what this episode is going to be after we go over the hockey helmet rule. Just real quick. So, like, hockey helmet rule and then an amalgamation of the most dangerous parts of hockey that you probably should have had a helmet on for the whole time. But I just really wanted an excuse to look into them, and it's kind of a low-pressure episode. You know, Christmas special. Also, harkening back to King Tut last year, the last Christmas special, yo. All right, so it's the morning right now. Like, this is the first one I've recorded, like, relaxed in the morning. I did the Hunchback of Notre Dame one in the morning, but that was not relaxed. I was a spaz in my car at 5.15 a.m. when there was walkers going because I couldn't, I couldn't record it anywhere else. That was, the, the, yo, the Hunchback of Notre Dame is done in, like, three, three parts, and I was in my car having old people walk by me as I was doing it. That was, that's the only other time I've done one in the morning, but this one, I recorded it last night, and I thought it was, I, I was pretty happy with it, and then I, I wanted to listen to it this morning, and it's like this, it's the amount of time that it took, but I, I just started playing it, and it's, it sounds like Star Wars sounds. It's, it's like a bump bump, <laughs> and then like every now and then you'll hear me be like, yeah, so I knew I was never really very good at getting over the boards. It sounds like a, a guy making clarinet sounds. So what are you going to do? You know, it's a Christmas special. But last year, the King Tut special, I remember I recorded more than once. I did that one three times. That's episode three. The first time I did it, I cried at the end. <laughs> it was episode three. I cried. If you're, yo. I'm not trying to tell you, make you sad from last year's Christmas special, but it did end sad, and that's actually why I did episode four on the same week, because, like, Charles Ponzi was much a lighter topic. Like, yo, episode three ended so sad, but the first time I recorded, yo, I was so, I, <laughs> I was, I was not in a great way <laughs> this time last year, and uh, I remember the King Todd episode ends with Gary, Mun- with uh, Cheryl and Gary Munson. They go, it, it was a couple who visited the, the tomb of King Tut, and it's the actual scientific explanation of what the curse of King Tut is. It's it was it's some sort of fungus that was on the inside of the tomb that nobody really thought about. And then if you go into the tomb of King Tut before they discovered this, like with a compromised immune system, it's really dangerous for respiratory illness. And so the end of episode three last year, that, that Christmas special was me talking about Cheryl and Gary Munson. And I was not, I was just, I didn't, I didn't really even think it planned out the first time I recorded it. It went, I was, I really liked it. And then at the end, dude, I couldn't, I couldn't keep it together talking about Cheryl Munson 
because it was Cheryl Munson's like lifelong dream to go to King Tut's tomb. And they had just gotten married and Cheryl just had cancer and then she beat cancer and Gary secretly saved up the money to take her, you know, to Egypt for her dream. She was like an art school major, a girl from art school. And so her professor told her that if you ever get into King Tut's tomb, you have to touch the paint on the walls. I mean, nobody knew there was that terrible, what was that called? Asper Nigalgis? Something like that. That's pretty close. That's that's pretty close to what that was. It's been a year, and that stuff's still rattling around. My anyway, so that episode ends, and Cheryl dies when they get back from that incredible romantic honeymoon. First time I recorded it, fell to pieces. I was a stained glass window over here. <laughs> I was like, but then I, I said goodbye. It was like a full episode, and then I sat on it for like an hour. And I was like, yo, you cannot be crying on episode three when the title is called The Curse of King Tut. And it's the Christmas special, dude. You are you are an insane person. So then I re-recorded it, but I did the tough guy thing the second time I did it. where I Because I remembered I cried at the end of the first time. So I was like, yeah, we're tough guy in it. So I... So the the second time I recorded, it was all like, yeah, so anyway, they go over to, like, a tomb. You know, it's whatever. And then she, like, definitely dies, which is sad. So then I did it the second time, and I knew what I did. I knew I tough-guyed it. And then it was only, like, 31 minutes, so I went too fast, and I tough-guyed it. And so the, the one that I actually released was the third time. So this isn't the first Christmas special that I'm going to have to record a second time. So it's like, what are you, you know? It's fine. Look, we're hanging out in the morning. It's kind of like, I was thinking about this. What I'm kind of going for with this whole podcast is like, if you go to work, like one day a week at work, like on your way to work, you pick up a dude who's kind of a little like has car trouble or like he's in between vehicles right now, or maybe his wife threw him out. Give myself a big up there with the idea that I hypothetically have a wife in this scenario. But no, like uh, what I'm going for in the podcast is that like maybe one day a week on your way to work. You got like a 40 minute commute. You pick up this dude who's like, he's pretty harmless. And like, he's always, he's like doing, he's got something. He talks every time I pick him up and it's never like bad. It's all right. And like, he doesn't bother me at work. He's kind of, he's decent company. You know what else? It's cold. He doesn't have a car. What am I heartless? Yeah. I'll pick him up one day a week. That's what I'm going for. So it's like, it's fun to do it in the morning. Cause normally I record him at night. And other than the hunchback of Notre Dame where like I was spazzing hard. And doing like 11 minute chunks while like joggers with sweatbands were like, huh, what are you doing? And like, I have that thing where I think when, I think a lot of people have this, where when you're in your car, you believe that it's a soundproof vehicle. Like I play, I, I, again, I don't think I have to go over this and retread these facts, but like I drive a shitty Honda Fit and I, dude, I bump like yin yang twins and shit in there. Cause it's, it's just funny. I don't do, I do, I like the music, but it's also it, there's sort of an attitude of like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, dude, put the yin yang twins on loud as fuck. I don't know what to tell you. It, it makes me laugh doing it. But I remember when I was recording The Hunchback at Notre Dame, like when the, the at least the one walker came by, like I was talk, like loudly describing like sw- Quasimodo swinging down and rescuing Esmeralda. And then she walked by and I was like, yeah, she definitely heard that. <laughs> I forget that like, but that was another part of ice hockey as a little kid. I believe that the rink was was soundproof, whether it was street hockey or ice hockey, which it was not. But as a little kid, I I, I don't know. I think my head just made it soundproof, and also I knew that you couldn't. Who's gonna yell at me for cursing 
Even though even though I was like nine or like ten years old, I wouldn't get yelled at till I got to the bench. It it just never backfired on me. So you don't get yelled at like three or four times when you're nine years old and you scream uh, curse word on on the ice. All of a sudden, your brain it just made it soundproof. Anyway, so just to put a cap on. I'm just going to glow about ice hockey this whole episode, sorry, but real quick. So I almost cut off my own foot because I was in front of the net, and then this other kid who was better at ice hockey than me by, like, a lot. But it was a practice. I, was it a practice or a scrimmage? I, I don't think it was a game because there was no other team. I think it was practice. I almost cut my foot off in practice. A member of my own team came underneath me and checked me to the point where, like, I went airborne, which I'm sure the other parents of the other kids must have loved seeing. I thought about this too. We're like, I think I had to have been entertaining. If I wasn't your kid, you were probably happy that Chris Wood suited up for a game. You're like, this guy goes flying. You got to keep an eye out. Yeah, he goes. It's almost like a like a Kermit the Frog puppet. His legs go dangling when he gets hit. Anyway, so I got hit from underneath, and then my own because I didn't lace up my my boot all the way. My own skate on my left foot went into my skate on my right foot, and then I remember I. I landed on my right foot, which now had a, a more or less like a, a knife of a shoe on the ankle, and then all my weight came down on my right foot, and it just went in, went into my foot, and it, I didn't even know it did anything at first, and then I stood up and started skating away, and then my whole foot felt wet, and I was like, what's going on? Sorry to gross you out. I know that's the worst detail of the story, right? Wet. There's really no other way to describe it. That's how it felt. I was like, did somebody spill a bottle of water on something? And I... It wasn't water, so I sat down on the ice, and they blew the whistle, and it, I, I was, I still keep in touch with people who saw that, and they were like, that was gross, man. That was one of the grossest things I've ever seen, man. That was so much blood, and it was all, it was on the ice, too, so it coagulated. It was, but that was it. After, and after that, I mean, I think pretty young, even though I liked hockey a lot. I mean, you're just not. I'm not going to be a hockey player, man. I feel like you kind of know when you do something that, like, that's low probability you can go pro at it. There was no chance. But I really enjoyed it because I came up with it. My dad uh, raised me on the Flyers, and we're going to cover the code of hockey in this episode, which I'm going to enjoy. Damn, I've been talking for 18 minutes. All right, got to shut up and start talking about hockey. Here we go. Anyway, so what's up? It's a Christmas special. We're doing the uh, the hockey helmet rule. Oh, one more thing as far as Christmas goes. Yo, I think I got ghosted Christmas something at the post office. So yesterday I went, because I, I go to the post office to mail out the shirts or whatever. So I'm trying to keep in touch with people. Uh, the second wave of shirts is at the printing thing. They're printing them now. So you pro- if you were in the second wave of shirts, you're probably not going to get it before Christmas. My bad, dude. But thanks for ordering one, honestly. And uh, I'll, I'll keep in touch with you. But anyway, so I was going to the post office yesterday in, in Mantua and... I was pulling out, and I'm in the Honda Fit, and it's cold. All the windows are up, and I have to make a right-hand turn. But there's a red light. I can't leave this parking lot. I'm trapped in the post office parking lot until this this light changes. So I'm sitting there, and to my left, I'm looking to get like a, hey, what's up, man, wave. You ever do it when you got to like go into traffic? And I technically had the The guy was stopped with plenty of room. He had anticipated letting somebody out of the post office. So he's already thinking ahead. I already like this guy. So I'm trying to get his attention. He was like a Polynesian man. And I was trying to get like the, thank you, sir. Hey, hey, you get the wave going. Like, hey, thanks for letting me in. So I wasn't even looking to my right side. And then I hear screaming right next to my car. 
And I look over, and I swear to God, this lady looks so much like one of my ex's moms. It like it it was weird. My first thought was like, what is she? What like I thought it was my ex's mom, and she's screaming. And so I roll the window down, and then she's like, "How do you like your fit?" And she has a mask on, but she is yelling. I don't know why I rolled the window down, and I'm trapped by this red light. She's she's not in the car, but she's she's pretty close. Like she, that window went down pretty close to her where her nose is under her mask. So she scre- she screams like she's in a fucking helicopter. How do you like your fit? I'm, I was like, yeah, it's great. I've had it for 10 years. It's bulletproof. I like, I'm underselling it. I matched her helicopter intensity just to kind of try. I don't know what was going on here. She want to get in. Is she hurt? I, I, part of me was like, is this lady paralyzed? Why would you look for me for help? I'm obviously leaving this post office. I'm not going to stop. And you're healthy enough to scream in the side of my car. Like there's, there's more people in that post office. Can you please, or if you're hurt, I mean, I will help you if you're bad. Anyway, so I thought that, but that, this was just a Honda fit conversation. She screamed, how do you like your fit? And then I was like, great, it's 10 years, bulletproof, I love it. And then she wasn't done, because then still still Helicopter Loud was like, yeah, I had a midlife crisis a couple years back when I bought mine. It's purple, I love it. And I didn't, again, I'm still trapped by this red light. Where do you take this conversation? And I don't want her to look into it, too, because she just told me that she loves her Honda Fit. And I'm obviously, like, if she leans in, dude, this looks like I'm, gonna, I'm a homeless guy collecting cans, dude. I haven't cleaned it out in a minute. Again, no dates. I'm never going to date again in that car. So it's like, if I keep the level of trash underneath the windows, that's what we're going for at this point in time. We're in a pandemic, okay? We're doing the best we can. So I'm hoping she doesn't l- lean in and look in my car because she's obviously a Honda Fit fan. But then she just told me she had a midlife crisis. I don't know where the fuck to take this. So I was just like, all right, thank you so much. The post office is great. All right, I'm going to go. So I start doing that thing where you let off the brake. Because I'm going to go, dude, I'll turn the other way at this point in time. I will redirect. I'll take another 10 minutes to get home if I need to. Because I'm leaving this post office parking lot with this ghoul, whoever this is. So I start rolling away. All right, thanks so much. And then she's like, okay, take care. (laughs) She was like, okay, take care of butterscotch. She named my car Butterscotch as I, as I pulled out. It was the weirdest. I don't know where that came from. I don't know what that lady. I don't know why. I don't know if she was hammered. She named my car Butterscotch. I didn't know how to take that. The first football field I drove after that happened, it kind of felt like somebody slapped my wife's ass in front of me. Because she named my car. I was like, how dare you? Who is this? Bu-? And also, I felt bad because I was like, man, I hope she didn't look inside because I am not taking care of butterscotch. There's no question. I've secretly been... I should have scrapped butterscotch about a year ago. If I'm being honest with myself, I should have drove it off the Ben Franklin Bridge <laughs> or tried to pay somebody to tow it away. I am not taking care of butterscotch, man. So that was... I don't know what that was. I don't know. If she, I have seen people hammered in public. When they shouldn't be recently. I don't know if you guys have seen that. But in like in like a Wawa on a Thursday, I'll see somebody who's like fucked up. Like pretty drunk. I don't know if that's the pandemic or holiday times or what. I, I chalked that up to the pandemic and like apocalypse drinking a little bit. I don't know if this late, but maybe that's me being judgy. Maybe this lady who looked like one of my ex's moms just hopped up on holiday cheer, wanted to talk about Honda Fits, and I'm over here being a Scrooge thinking she was drunk in public. I don't know. Either way, so that's, you know, it's a holiday special. Let's talk about the hockey helmet rule. 
just 23 minutes of me talking about nothing. Also, sorry about that cough. I am kind of, I don't know, I, I always just get like a bronc thing in wintertime. It's really inconvenient because now there's a respiratory pandemic. But it's, I don't know, my mom has a similar cough. It just kind of happens. And especially in the morning when I wake up, I'm like, oh, and we are doing the AM session. So, sorry about that cough, but she did name my car Butterscotch, dude. How weird was that fucking lady? All right. Christmas week, the hockey helmet rule. What am I even talking about? All right. So the NHL, National Hockey League, was founded November 1917. And the hockey helmet rule was created June 1st, 1979. So that means we have over 60 years of the highest level of professional ice hockey being played with no helmets on. Fastest paced, hardest shooters, hardest hitting. Uh, and we had 60 years of that. The last NHL player to wear a helmet was a dude named Craig McTavish, and that was in 1997. So post-Desert Storm, people were forgetting about Desert Storm 1, like the Iraq, the first Iraqi war. Desert Storm 1 was in like 91, definitely wrapped up by 93, I'm pretty sure. There's a guy with no helmet on in the NHL when people were, the Nets, Netscape was big. Guy had no helmet on. TV, they were like, it was, it was pretty good television. There's the, no, there's the internet. And the guy had no helmet on. Anyway, so I thought that was cool. That was the last player to wear a helmet. Now, just real quick with refs and goalies, because that's different. Now, the referee rule was mandated that they have to wear helmets, but it took a decade later in 1988. The refs didn't follow along right away, but eventually, 10 years later, people were like, look, this is a liability issue. You guys have got to put, you got to put a helmet on. You see and my favorite example, I was talking to my buddy about the refs, and I think there's a Philadelphia, I think he's Canadian, but I mean, I'm from Philly and I know about him. I don't know how he's associated with Philadelphia, but there was a ref named Kerry Frazier, and he started refing in 1980, so after the player helmet rule, but eight years prior to the referee helmet rule. And he was known for, I'm a ref, and I got a great rug of hair up top. Take a look at this shag carpet I got up top. He had a delicious head of hair. And I think the rumor, the rumor that my friend heard was that, like, it was vanity a little bit that he was like, I'm not wearing a helmet, dude. I look good. What are you talking about? I travel around the country. I'm doing road gigs. I'm getting this hair out. The girls see it. Now, as far as goalkeepers go, the first goalkeeper to ever wear anything on their face was a female university student named Elizabeth Graham in 1927. And she just wore a fencing mask. And when they asked her why, she was like, I'm, I'm going to try to protect my teeth. This is ice hockey. I don't know. So she went fencing helmet. But as far as the NHL goes, the first goalie to ever wear a mask was in 19... It took all the way till 1959. And that was just one guy who was like, all right. And actually how he ended up wearing a mask in a professional game. His name was Jacques Plantes. It was French. You got to give me a pass. I'm like, come on, Christmas special, guys. Jacques, Jacques, Jacques Plantes. That's what, anyway, first goal would ever wear a helmet. Jacques Plantes, he was playing at Madison Square Garden, and he was a goalie for the Canadians. In the first period, he gets drilled in the face by a slap shot, right? So then he goes to the bench, and he tells his coach, he's like, yo, coach, what's up? I, you've seen me wear a mask in practice, right? Because here's the thing. Jacques Plantes did have a practice mask, but it was a homemade and I saw a picture of it. It looked like he was in his basement making like a, a homemade pinata for his son's fourth birthday. And then at the same time, he was like, maybe I'll just put some of this shit on my face. And then it made a mask by accident. 
It looked like a paper mache homemade pinata mask, but it was at least something. And after he got already drilled in the first period in the face, he was like, Coach, I got to wear the practice mask. Coach was like, no fucking way you're wearing that to a goalie who just got hit in the face with a puck. So Jacques had to threaten to quit. He had to be like, all right, if you don't let me wear my birthday party paper mache mask, I am going to quit ice hockey, and then you are not going to have a goaltender. So finally the coach had to be like, yeah, fine. So that was the first time. And then he went back and played the rest of the game after getting drilled in the face in a slap shot. No, in no part would I learn that story where they're like, that, that's pretty... Like, maybe at the end they were like, ah, it was pretty tough. And it's like, you are underselling that, man. We're about to... Go, we're about to cover... I did a little bit of physics here. We're going to cover the slap, like, slap shot physics in a second. But it already sounds like a pretty cool story, right? They, I mean, they, the way... He, the first goal, he did it. Anyway, I'm a nerd about all this stuff. I'm going to be a dork. It's a Christmas special. And it's just an excuse to talk about hockey. So that's that's technically the hockey helmet rule. I could... That's it. And how much of this was actually about hockey so far. I don't know. I just wanted to do what I liked and talk about when I was a kid playing hockey. So anyway, but I did do some physics. Hold on. Let me give you the outline of what this episode is, is actually going to be. So we already did the hockey helmet rule. We can just kill it now if you want. But I did a handful of other stuff. So I did the physics on, we're going to, I mean, look, we're going to take a look at the physics of how long people had to get out of the way of a slap shot before they started wearing helmets. So if you were a defenseman or you were back on defense and you were a winger that was hopefully not cutting your own foot off this time and somebody fired off a slap shot from the point, which is the blue line, which is 60 feet away from the goal, we're going to take a look at, I mean, prior to the helmet rule and I mean, it's the same time interval after the helmet rule. I mean, there's a 10 mile per hour change. In slap shots, they say. Either way, we're going to see how long would you have had if you were back on defense and somebody's fired off a slap shot to get your face out of the way. So I did the physics on that, and I I like that, so we're going to cover that. Uh, all right, I got to calm down. I'm nerding out pretty hard. And then we're going to take a look at the other elements of hockey that it probably would have been good to have a helmet on for, which are going to be uh, a couple different types of ice hockey checks. And the fact that there's always been and there still is bare knuckle fist fights in ice hockey. Uh, and then we're, we're going to end with two different strategies that if you find yourself in a professional ice hockey fight, you can look to implement. I feel, give you options just in case, you know, again. So that, that's what it's going to be. So let's take a look at the physics of the slap shot thing first. Okay, go ahead and sit down. I'm, I am overselling this as I did physics. There's no way I, I in my head. I was like, I can do physics. I don't know why I thought I could do physics. I, it's because it's pictures, I think. This is what I've come to, which is when I thought about this, I was like, oh, dude, it'd be great. We'll do the friction of the ice and then the puck and then the gravity and then all this stuff. And I was like, dude, you, know, you kind of know about magnets. You got this. And I remember liking physics from high school, but I just liked physics because I had a cool physics teacher and it was pictures. I wasn't good at it. It was. It's still just... It's like math that dressed up to go to the club. That's what physics is to me. It's like, oh, dude, no, this thing looks good, but it's still math. It's tricking me into dating it. I love it, but I just I saw it on a good day. It's math. It's secretly math, but it lo- it's got pictures to it. It's nice. Things are falling off roofs. I am a simple man, dude. I like let's solve a problem when you throw cinder blocks off a roof on ice. How about that? So I liked physics, but then when I started doing it, I was like, we got to slow down a little. Okay. We have, we have set some high hopes with this I'm going to do physics thing. 
So I, I all I ended up figuring out was how long you would have on average to get out of the way of a slap shot. But even that, Christmas special, I feel good about that. So let's take a look at it. All right. So the average speed of a slap shot in 2020, put it around 100 miles an hour. And they say that the average speed of a slap shot in 2010, about a decade ago, was like 90 miles per hour. Although Bobby Hull allegedly had a slap shot in the 1960s that was clocked at 118.3 miles an hour, but that number is disputed. People just kind of don't believe that happened. They're like, I don't know how that could have happened, but I, I, I don't know. I, I would like to believe, I, I don't have any skin in the game, so I'm going to believe that Bobby Hull was just some sort of superhero at hockey on the day that he got measured and that there, there has been a 118-mile-an-hour slap shot in the 60s for the sake of not really having to adjust the, the physics math, to be honest with you. So we, we just used 90 miles an hour. So to find out how long would you have to dodge a puck that slap shot from the blue line, 90 miles an hour. Get your head out of the way, buddy. You don't have a helmet yet. Let's say it's before 1979. So, your possible reaction time to this slap shot. To find this, I did, and you can check this if you want, but really, I hope this is right. Please, just don't, if it's wrong, just let me slide on it, okay? I have, my birthday's in like four days. Dude, I'm already pulling out the my birthday card. Yo, my birthday's in a week. If I fuck these physics up, can you just leave it? Okay? Just be like, that's nice. All right. <laughs> anyway, so the way I did this, you uh, time is equal to distance over rate. So we're looking for time to get our smiley face out of the way because we're going to have picture day coming up. We got to still look good. Get, get my teeth out of the way of this hockey puck. How long are we going to have? So it's time equal to distance over rate. So the distance that we're looking at here, the blue line is 60 feet from an NHL goalie or goal. And the rate is 90 miles per hour. That, that's what we're going to use for the average of the slap shot. Okay. Or they also said that like a great wrist shot, which you don't wind up with, you kind of whip it like a, use your stick as like an Indiana Jones, like bullwhip type thing. And just whip, it's a wrist shot. It's a faster release, but some got professionals can get that up to 90 miles an hour. So either an okay slap shot or a really hard wrist shot. Either way, you got to get your noggin out of the way. So, to do this, I translated 90 miles an hour into feet per second. So, what we're looking at is 90 miles per hour is 132 feet per second. So, the puck's only got to go 60 feet. So, what you're looking at here is if you're a goalie, you got a little bit less than half a second to react to a 90 mile an hour slap shot. And let's say if you're a goalie, you at least got a paper mache mask on. So the, the math works out to be, it's a little bit under half of a second. But that's if you're a goalie, because that's the full 60 feet, right? So dude, how long is a half second even if you're a goalie? So it's like, start, stop. Ready? Hit in the face. There it went. You got hit in the face, dude. But that's if you're a goalie. So you got to cut it in half again so instead of 60 feet, let's say let's say it's 30 feet because you're a defenseman in front of the net. Now you only got a quarter of a second, which is like, hey, hit in the face. There it went. There it went. So that's they didn't have helmets till 79, and that's how fast it's going. Again, it was fun to try to figure out some physics, but man, did I bail on that. There weren't even any pictures to that. I was like, just give me the one equation to find the time thing because I don't want to ruin how much I think I like physics. But yeah, it is just, it is it's math dressed up in one of those like tight 
tight dresses that's just one color that like I don't even know what that fabric is. Girls wear it to nightclubs, I think. I don't even dude, bro, I can't I gotta stop talking about girls how girls dress up. Anyway, physics is math, but it just looks better. So that's our physics. Real quick, force required to cause a concussion is 95 Gs. A football player can experience up to 103 Gs for a hit, and 1 G is the force exerted by gravity on a fighter, and fighter pilots will experience about 9 Gs. Oh, the average force of an ice hockey check, you're looking at about 19 Gs, and the average force for a football hit is about 21 Gs. But again, a football hit can go up to 103 Gs, and I know people have gotten concussions in ice hockey, and the numbers of the averages of an ice hockey check and a football hit were pretty similar, 19 to 21. So I'm going to assume you can go up to about 100 Gs getting trucked in ice hockey. I mean, there's no way I got hit as hard as 100 Gs. I mean, everybody else is 11 years old back then too. But yeah, you can definitely get your bell rung in ice hockey, even if we're not talking about pucks. But we are going to go on to checking technique, what I wish I looked up when I was nine years old. I don't think there was an internet, but I was always too embarrassed to ask how to hit. I felt like because I was tall, people assumed that I should know that shit. I, I mean, they all saw how bad I could skate. <laughs> Probably should have just been like, hey, how do you do that without bounce at all? I would just go, yeah, just limp. The same way I would get hit is the same way I would hit at the end. So, like, if I got trucked, I would go just Kermit the Frog Puppet going as far as the ice goes, you know, as far as it'll take me, it's all right. Again, I'm crash test on me. I'm good. I'm up. But the same, that's the same way that I hit the kid, the child with one arm. I would just, I would go as fast as I can and then limp. That was my, that was my strategy. And honestly, it's not that far away from what I found for ice hockey body check technique. Now this is a stretch. Obviously you're not supposed to just go limp and let your momentum and hopefully have your upper body hit the kid first. Also, definitely check if he has one arm. I do. I, I don't know. It happened. What am I going to say? I feel bad about it. It's fine. Anyway, so ice hockey checking technique. Come on. My dad's in the stands. All right. So a body check is technically when you drive a shoulder uh, and your upper arm and your hip and your elbow into the opponent at the same time. And what you're doing is you're looking to separate him from the puck. Now, a body check when you're coming back on defense and you're skating backwards against the boards, it, it can be called a rub off. And it, it looks exactly like it said. Whoever named the rub off nailed it. Same thing if you were in, like, if you're playing a Need for Speed video game and you're in a car race and you just rub somebody off the track. You just run them, you throw them down into a canyon and their car explodes. Well, nobody explodes in ice hockey, but you just run them into the boards and then they get rubbed off. It's a type of body check. Another type of uh, ice hockey checking technique is a hip check. Now, I did this one because I remember getting blasted with one of these and being dumbfounded with how hard it was. I think it only happened one time. So a hip check is when a player drops into almost a squat position as they're moving. So they're skating. They go. They get up to speed, fast as they can go, and then you're flying in a squat position and you swivel your hips into the hopefully opposing player, but in this case it was me and it was my teammate. I don't remember the kid's name. I remember I liked him a lot, but I think he was like, I'm going to drill Chris here. So you get going as fast as you drop down to a squat, and the last second you whip your hips into the guy, and you, dude, he hit my hips with his hips. Man, did I, it was, I was practice when this happened. I think it was after practice, just shoot around, but my dad was still in the stands, dude. It was like a dead leg in my pelvis. That's how hard he, it was, I was blown away with the force that was, it didn't hurt that bad. 
but it, it just felt like a dead leg on the whole. Usually a dead leg, if you get punched in the in the, like your quadricep, then your leg goes numb and like, I don't know, just the leg part. No, this was like whole hip. Man, I mean, it like it was stunning. There was like testicular, <laughs> testicular sensation. Like, how did you make that hurt with a hockey check, dude? So that's a hip check. Uh, and real quick, a penalty uh, type of checking that happened that I definitely did not do to that one arm kid, but I did get a 10-minute misconduct for this when I broke that one arm kid's arm. It's called charging. And this is when you take th- more than three steps towards an opponent. Maybe you have intent to injure or you hit him from behind. I don't think I did not hit that kid from behind. I it was just I don't know how many steps I took up to him. Was it charging? No. I don't think either way, they put me in the penalty box and everybody treated me like Osama bin Laden. For, <laughs> I was like a, I was like a twelve year old OBL, dude. They gave me a ten minute miscon. The ref didn't even know what to give me. I didn't know he had one arm. Other people knew he had one arm. So after I hit him and he was down, he didn't get up. The ref just blew the whistle and they put me in the box. And then event they had to huddle up. Everybody was real upset. And then they came over and they told me I had 10-minute misconduct. And then they just told me I can't come back out for the game. So I had to go I had to go put on my regular clothes. I had to take my pads off. I, I don't know why they kicked me out of the game. I didn't mean – I was not – I wasn't in the – I wasn't like, woo-woo. I wasn't honking the truck horn going around on one leg being like, that's what's up, dude. That's what you get. Where's his parents at? You guys bought him the pads. I wasn't doing that. I was kind of like, oh, man, is he all right? But, again, I, I couldn't talk to everybody in the stands. All they knew is that the one kid who broke the other kid with one arm, he's in the box. What a piece of shit he is. So then they just kicked me out of the game, you know? I don't know. Look, my dad thought it was a clean hit. But, technically, I did get called for charging. All right, so those are ice hockey types of hits. Let's take a look at... There's bare knuckle fighting in this sport. It is a is one of the big four. It's uh what hockey, basketball, football, baseball. The big four sports. Ice hockey, only one with bare knuckle fist fights still in it to this day, and it's been a part of the game since they started. So, hockey started 1917. NHL's founded. Fights out the gate. Fighting became a penalty five years later. It took five years of fighting in the in the newly formed NHL. Until they were like, all right, well, we got to call this something. Because up until now, when two guys start fist fighting each other, knocking each other's teeth out, we just all kind of mill around and be like, I don't know, they're talking. Let them, they got a thing real quick. Just don't give it a sec. Or we can keep playing if it's just them two. For five years, there was no penalty. We were just like, well, they got it. They're taking care of some business over there, you know? You know, I would mind your own business unless you got something to say over there. Okay, it's two men working it out. They didn't have a penalty for it. But in 1922... The formal penalty became known as fisticuffs. Now, so fighting is technically illegal in hockey, but it's permitted, which is pretty insane. But I enjoy it. I, I hope they don't take it out. And they, they asked other players. I watched a couple interviews. They asked other players that are retired and specifically enforcers and just people. There's a type of player called a pest who, like, we're going to get into, like, it, it's part of the code, which we'll cover next, because there's an unwritten code of hockey that I forgot about. And somebody put it into 15 rules, but it's, the code kind of varies from player to player. Like everybody has their own individual interpretation of it. We're going to cover it in a second, but technically hockey fighting is illegal, but it's permitted. And it's in the big four sports. If you fight in the NFL, dude, you are out of there. You are suspended for games, MLB, huge, huge suspension. Ron Arte, the only people, 
The only thing I know about the Pacers is that one brawl, Ron Artest. That's how big a deal a huge fight like that in basketball is. It's part of the game in the NHL. So, for fighting, a player can be ejected from the game, and that's under uh, Rule 46 in the rule book. But here's the thing. Apparently, Rule 46 is sort of vague. It's left up to the interpretation of the referee as far as intent. How did the fight start? Did somebody jump in? Was there a sucker punch involved? And I think the refs kind of refer back to the code, which we're going to cover in a second, because it is like a, it's a way, it's the way that hockey players regulate themselves, just amongst themselves with nothing to do with the referee. But fighting is an, a a player who fights automatically gets a five minute major misconduct. Now, additional minutes can be added on if there was a hooking charge that caused the fight or a, a hooking call or a charging call that you know, cause the fight or whatever else, but minimum five minutes. But then you're back on the ice, dude. You got five minutes and you could still play in the same game you got in a fist fight. And it doesn't matter whether or not, like, you can, you can sleep a dude. Like, you can knock a dude clean out. Five minutes, you're back. And that's happened. I don't know. I, I mean, if you get knocked clean out, I mean, I'm pretty sure you, you're out of the game. But if you knock a dude out in ice hockey... Five minutes, if it was done fair, if it was done by the code, you're right back. Now, they have kind of clamped down on the severity of hitting and fighting in recent years, but they still let it happen, you know? I mean, people could still get knocked out bare knuckle in ice hockey. Now, no player has ever died as the result of a fight in the NHL. Nobody's ever done that, and... Fighting itself, I mean, at least according to, and this was a quote from 2016, the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman, fighting may prevent other injuries. So it's not looked at as like some terrible, it's just part of the game. And it's part of the game in, because it kind of traces back to the thing that's known as the code, which we're going to cover now. The code of professional hockey. Now, again, the code is open to interpretation for each individual player. But it is a series of unwritten rules which, if broken, result in retribution. Now, again, everybody's code is different, but this is just a broad overview. It's 15 points of what the code broad strokes is. Again, everybody has their own version of it. So, the code. Number one, the players police the game amongst themselves like the refs do, sometimes more. But this is a players amongst players penal code that they're enforcing amongst each other number two if you do bad things there are consequences we'll get into this more in a second that's number two number three star players are not to be targeted so if you have a goal scoring player if you take a run at a a, a star player i mean an example of this matt sundin taidomi toronto maple leafs in the early 90s or mid 90s matt sundin was like a finesse player uh, beautiful, like kind of like Russian style. I think he was Swedish, actually. But Ty Domi was an enforcer. So if anybody took a run at Matt Sundin, they broke the code. He's a star player. He's a goal scorer. He's not here for that. He's here to do a different job here. You take a run at him, you got to talk to Ty Domi, who's on the team as a way to fulfill the code a little bit because he's an enforcer. What he all we, we pay him. I mean, look, does he play defense a little bit? Does he score goals sometimes? We mostly pay him to beat dudes' asses if you take a run at Matt Sundin. It's all part of the code. So, number three, star players are not to be targeted. Now, number four, 
if that star player does bad things, they can be targeted. They are subject to the code there. So if a star player does some bad stuff, you're not above it, you know? Number five, no cheap shots, and you can't blindside somebody. Number six, you got to pick on people your own size or bigger. Now, un- unless they start it. If a smaller player starts playing, starts coming at you, fine. But if you're an enforcer, if you're like a Ty Domi, you can't go picking on small wingers or skill players, man. That's not okay. You're going to go barking up that tree, and then an enforcer or more than one enforcer will come get you, make you pay for it according to the code. Number seven. Fights are agreed upon, and when they are agreed upon, you remove your helmet. If you have a visor, sometimes they leave helmets, but if you're an enforcer, you almost always take off your helmet as like a show of respect, and also like, I think it's a little bit of a way to floss too, like you roll up your sleeves, take off your helmet. They'll agree upon fights before they take place at like face-offs. Number eight, if guilty of a crime on the ice... You are not allowed to back down if somebody comes for retribution, a.k.a. to get you to agree to a fist fight at a face-off. You will be called a coward then. You are not allowed to back down there. Number nine, you are also not allowed to give up in a fight. You got to keep fighting until you get knocked out. Don't give up. Don't just lay down. And don't throw them to the ice because you know that's going to end the fight. You got to fight, especially if you're somebody who's facing retribution because you've done bad things. Number ten, you are allowed to plan fights Extend the offer, signal the offer, drop the gloves, face off. There doesn't have to be any sort of code breaking to have a fight break out. If you want to offer a man, hey, you know what? You want to do it? All right, that's fine. Good luck to you. I saw a clip of this. where That, that was the exact conversation. Where it was like, hey, you want to go? Yeah? All right, square up. That sounds good. All right, good luck to you. They drop the puck, and then the two dudes drop their like, helmets off, and they just go. There's a way you can agree on it according to the, po- the code respect. There doesn't have to be any retribution involved. If you want to pick a fight, you're allowed to do that. Number 11, you do not punch a guy when he's already down. This is a, this is punished severely. If a dude's already down or already knocked out in a fight, this is like an ultimate cheap shot. He's already down. The fight's over. All right. You take an extra shot at him. Somebody's going to come. That counts as a very bad thing. And you are going to be talking to a Ty Domi type in a second. Number 12, Goalies are allowed to fight each other 24-7. Goalies are always allowed to fight each other if they get that itch. They're just allowed to pick a fight with each other. However, if you are not a goalie, you do not fight a goalie unless a goalie comes and tries to fight you. They are like a privileged class. The goalies are amongst themselves, which is also why if you look up hockey fights, a lot of times it's goalies fighting each other because they have carte blanche 24-7 signal each other, and if there's a big brawl, goalies are always fighting each other. You never really see a defenseman pair up with a goalie to fight. If there's a bench-clearing brawl, those goalies know they're going to meet at center ice, and the two guys with the big pads on are going to talk to each other a little bit. Number 13, in a brawl, everybody is fair game. You can pair off. It's a team fight. Again, don't pick the goalie, okay? You don't want some retribution after a brawl. But in a bench-clearing brawl, no retribution has to be on the table. You don't have to have a problem with anybody. There's five guys on the ice. The two, the two goalies are going to pair off. The two dudes who originally started fighting. So there's going to be a handful of other pairs that got to get made. You got to pick somebody. You got to get in there. Has nothing to do with anything. It's just part of the code. You pair off. It is what it is there. Number 14. Watch out for instigators. I kind of mentioned this earlier. An example of this from my childhood was a dude named Matthew Barnaby, who I think ended up being an announcer. 
And I don't know if people still hate him or not, but I mean, I have nothing against the guy, but when I was a kid, man, was it fun to watch my dad hate Matthew Barnaby. I have I knew nothing about Matthew Barnaby. He played for the Sabres, I think, but we would, I'd be watching the Flyers and the Sabres. I'd be like, is Barnaby there? I would just get him. I do. I would try to get him fired up on Matthew Barnaby because I would want to like hang out with my dad in a fun way. I'd be like, ah, did Barnaby get hit? Yeah, he's like, no, he's out there doing what he does, though. And I'd be like, I hate that, man. This is cool. I'm sitting here. Anyway, so those kind of players are called instigators. They're trying to sucker you into a fight. It looks like they're abiding by the code. They are not abiding by the code, okay? They're trying to hook you. They're trying to bait you into the fight. They'll try to offer you a fight. But if you drop the gloves first, you're going to get a five-minute misconduct for fighting. They're going to skate away. They're instigators. You got to watch out for them. Again, one of my favorite things, too, was shit on Matthew Barnaby as a little kid. Or at least bring up Matthew Barnaby with my dad and be like, I don't like him. He's like, I don't like that either. And number 15, if there's a fight or a brawl, if a bench-clearing brawl breaks out and you're on the ice, you got to get up for it. You always get up for a member of your team. Even if you have nothing to do with what happened with the code, you have a jersey on. If everybody's paired off, you better pair off. You can't stand next to a guy and just talk to him. If you want to tussle up with somebody and then agree in between the two of you not to throw or whatever, but just kind of rough each other up, that's something. you got to find somebody. You can't be sitting in the, you can't look like it's a, a sixth grade skating party and you're scared of the couples dance. You got to get out there if it's going. It's part of the code. Oh, one more thing. If there, if you break the code and you do not suffer retribution in that, in that game, it is not forgotten. The next time you play that team, they will remember it and you still got to pay that debt. It doesn't wipe away at the end of the game if you kind of like skate away from people and people forget about you. You got to pay the debt eventually. So that is the code. Now, real quick, just in case you ever get in, you have to abide by the code. You find yourself having to be an honorable ice hockey player. I got two strategies for you for a fist fight if you end up having to do one in the NHL. I know it's low probability, but this was fun to look into. I would have never, I never got in a fight when I was a little kid playing hockey. I would never, I would like try to like hit people and stuff, but it was never. There was never a bench-clearing brawl either, I don't think. I didn't really get played much, if I'm being honest. There was like two, two, maybe there was four lines. So you switch lines in ice hockey like every three minutes. I think if I ever got put on second line, I was like, holy shit, we made it. Wow. I'm on second line, which are like, it's five, it's, no, I mean, it would be offense second line. So it's, I would be of the top six players. On the team, but not even really. I'm giving myself too much credit there. If you're an ice hockey coach and you got you got to put your first two lines together, don't you kind of want to put a totally useless weak kid on the second line just because you can? You know, put your best three on the first line, put like two great players you have, and then have a little dead weight on that line too, just to, just to sprinkle it up. Because you don't want a whole line. You don't want your fourth line to be all dead weight. Put some dead weight up front. I'm not saying, I, you know, maybe I was good at ice. I, I was not good. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being hard on myself. Either way, look, real quick, I got two ways you can hockey fight if you get into it, okay? Following the code, first off, you got to get your gloves and helmet off if you're an enforcer. You know, floss a little bit, roll your sleeves up, take your helmet all the way off. If you have a, vi- if you have a full visor, you got to get your helmet off. You can't have a visor. I mean, sometimes goalies keep them on, but even goalies flip those things off, dude. You got to... You gotta, you know, put a little bit of skin in the game. 
you're punching somebody in the face, you gotta, you gotta make your face available. It's part of the code. So, you gotta drop your gloves, helmets off. Oh, real quick. The NHL all-time leader of fights for a single player. 333 fights by a man I've already mentioned, Ty Domi. Uh, famous Maple Leaf who was paired up with a skill player, Matt Sundin, in the early 90s. He holds the record for 333. And one of these fight techniques that I'm going to go into... <coughs> Sorry, dude, my voice is all over the place. One of these fight techniques I'm going to go into, when I first learned it, it was introduced to me as the Ty Domi. But real quick, all right, so if you ever get in an ice hockey fight, you got I got two plans for you. Plan A, and this one is like an American Gladiators plan. So what you're going to do... Abide by the code, square up, and then reach out with your lead hand so your power hand is back. Reach out with your lead hand like you're going to throw a jab, but grab his jersey, grab a sweater, jersey, and I mean his pads if you can with your lead hand. So what you have, you got a hold of him now. So your your power hand is is back. You can throw it up, over, under, wherever you want to do, but you're not going to use your lead hand for punching. You're going to use that to keep a hold of him, and then you're going to like wrestle him back and forth you're trying to pull him in as you're punching him in the face or as he's punching you can also use that grip to push him back like you ever play that game in like middle school or at like recess where you guys stand with your feet square to each other and your palms touching or like uh real close to each other and you can only touch each other's palms to try to push each other off balance that's kind of like this american gladiators plan i got for you here your lead hand Get a hold of him, and then you're playing that palms game from sixth grade with your lead hand because he's probably going to grip you up too. That's why it's sort of like American Gladiators Jousten. So both guys got their power hands back, but you're trying to push and pull each other off balance, try to knock him out. Ultimately, you want to try to get him coming in while you're throwing a punch at the same time. Careful, though, because he's looking to do the same thing. So I get the helmet off, but I don't know if you got a mouth guard. Maybe have a small mouth guard in, something like that. All right, so that's your plan A, and plan B, and this is where we're going to end the episode, and this was introduced to me as the Ty Domi. Now, it's also referred to as jerseying. I think it's the coolest form of hockey fight, but it did get out of control in the 90s, and that's why they had to make a rule against it. So, to jersey somebody, what you're going to do, again, abide by the code to square up. You don't want to have any retribution because you acted incorrectly getting up into the fight. Agree upon it, get it going, and then what you're going to do, if you square up, you're going to look to punch him in the stomach right away. Get him to bend over. Now, as he's bending over, get a hold of him. Specifically, get your lead hand back behind him and grab his jersey right ab- like uh, on his like a back corner. And then you're going to try to rip that jersey up out of his hockey pants if he has it tucked in. Or if it's just loose, it's going to be easier. Get that jersey. You're ripping it over his head. He can't see now. You... You punch him in the stomach, get him down, get the jersey from the back, up and over. He's in a potato sack. Punch his fucking... Just keep punching his head. You potato sacked him. And if you do it correctly, you also got his arms trapped. It's all It's all by the code. You got a man in a potato sack. Let him have it. Keep punching him till the refs come in. That's called jerseying him. Now, it can blind him, but it is a, it's a little risky here. Because if the jersey comes all the way off... Then that also blows away our first plan. So if you try to jersey a guy and then he's smart and then he lets it go and his jersey comes all the way off, that he's more mobile than you now. 
He doesn't have his jersey on. He just has pads. So you can't really do our plan A anymore where you grab him and do like a knight's tail with Heath Ledger where you're trying to like joust with him and see, push him off balance and knock him out that way. If he counterpunches your jerseying technique by having it come all the way off, careful. You know, I mean, you can't give up. That's against the code. But I mean, maybe just try to tussle a little bit because if he has no jersey and you got a jersey on, it might be, you know, you might, you might get knocked out on television. Ooh, oh, real quick. So Jerseyan got so out of control, and this is where I'll end it, that uh, in the mid-90s they made a tie-down rule mandatory. So now if you try to jersey somebody in the NHL now, it still happens, but it's more of an accident. And there's a, there's a thing called a tie-down that they make NHL players wear that keeps – it's like, I don't know, like little kid suspenders. Well, I guess just suspenders in general, but in my head suspenders are a little kid thing, so I've only worn suspenders. That's a little kid, you know. Dude, unless you're in panic at the disco or you're six years old at a wedding, why? I don't understand suspenders. Jersey and got out of control to a point in the mid-90s where enforcers would start to plan ahead. So at first it became when an enforcer would order their jersey from the team, they would get like a 6XL. It would be, it would be a circus tent, dude. It would be enormous because that was the easiest way if somebody tried to jersey them. They could just they could just go dolphin like they're diving into a pool. That jersey comes off, and then they have all the mobility, and that guy's gonna have a hard time doing plan A where you can do the back and forth thing. So that was already a little bit too much. It was getting out of control. And then guys started, I mean, this is allegedly a rumor. I don't know if anybody got caught caught all the way doing this, but guys started wearing normal size jerseys that knew that they were gonna maybe fight that night, and they would cut the inside like the armpit of the sleeve down to the wrist and then they would just tape the jersey on the inside so then when when you got into a hockey fight it looks like your sleeves ripped but really all it did was was prevent you if you're getting jersey your arms are still free because your breakaway sleeves like snap pants and all of a sudden you're knocking a guy out on cbs dude so that got too crazy the league was like we can't have people making custom clothes here for b and what really put it over the line is that at a certain point, guys just started taking the, they just they just went magic Mike with it. At a certain point in the mid nineties, if you were going to get an NHL, just there was just too many shirtless dudes fighting each other for no. It looked like a Sunoco parking lot. <laughs> like in the mid nineties, guys would take their shirts off like it was a wildwood a frozen wildwood boardwalk. Shirts off before a fight, and then finally the NHL was like, all right, this is a family product, okay? We can't have dudes taking their shirts off. Getting in huge, knocking each other out, and then they're back on the ice in five minutes, and we're like, well, they swore it out. So they ended up making a, uh, it's an automatic game misconduct if you take your jersey off now. And that kind of put the kibosh on jersey, and, but it still happens a little bit. It didn't become a tactic. It, it happened in the 70s, like the Broad Street Bullies times, but more of like just an accident. Like if Dave Schultz's jersey came off when he was fighting somebody, it was because he was busy fighting somebody. It wasn't really a, a well-used enforcer tactic but after the broad street bullies and the idea of an enforcer was popularized by that style of play then in the 80s jersey became really popular and then people got crazy making their own you know people were starting their own etsy pages cutting their own jerseys and being like do you want to knock a guy out on tv i got custom sleeves for you guys this episode was all over the place but i liked it and uh i don't know this is my second time i i like this one i i think it was good How's your, how, what is it, Tuesday? We got Christmas in a, you know, today's like the last day of hard work, isn't it? Where's December 22nd? December 23rd, if you go in, I mean, if you got to make budget, you definitely got to get stuff done, but 
I remember cubicle job December 23rd was like, what are we doing here? But again, if you got to make budget, I mean, depending on where the month is or where you're at. When I was working at the shop, like, I don't know, some days can be stressful no matter what, depending on where you're at on that. But if it was cubicle time and it's December 23rd, I'm like, yeah, I am going to eat everybody else's food and go home early. I'm going to chew up some of the free pretzels and not even eat them. I'm just going to chew them so other people can't have them, dude. I was Scrooge at that job. Anyway, guys, episode 58, the hockey helmet rule. Uh, if you're listening to this, I, I, and I don't talk to you again beforehand, I do want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the show, man. Uh, this has been a pretty cool year for me. Uh, I've really enjoyed doing all this stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm recording this one. I did cough a handful of times in this. Sorry if that's great. Was it weird to hear me cough because of COVID? But you can't get it. I'm telling it's just like a morning cough. I've had it since 2016. It comes every summer. My friends make fun of me or it comes every winter. My friends make fun of me for it. 